welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning session of Sunday the 22nd of February 2009, entitled, The Lesson in the Test or What to Do When It's Over. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 18 to 22. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 20. 1 Samuel chapter number 20. I want you to look at verse number 18. While you're turning there, won't you sing something with me, will you? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Lift Him up. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't he good? He's good. He's been good to us this week, and I thank you for being here. You've been so attentive, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the privilege. Somebody asked me one time when I was pastoring a church, my first church actually, and uh, they finally got a hold of me, and they said, you know what, I've been trying to call you for the last two days, and you harder to get a hold of than the President of the United States. And I said, that's because i got a more important job than he does. You know what, our president, though he is one of the largest leaders in the world, isn't dealing with eternity. When I preach to you this morning, I'm not just giving you my words, I'm giving you God's word. And God says that he holds life and death in his hand. What I'm speaking to you this morning is about eternal life. This is about eternity. Okay? So listen on purpose for what God would have for you this morning. I want to preach to you a a message this morning entitled, The Lesson in the Test, or What to Do When It's Over. Now I want you to look at our text in 1 Samuel chapter number 20. I want to give you a little background of this story. Uh, Of course, you know David was called by God and uh, to be the king of Israel. God anointed him. Even while Saul was still sitting on the throne, God had anointed Uh, uh, David to be king of Israel. Now David was a young lad when he was anointed. But God knew that uh, an evil spirit had come upon uh, Saul and, 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 and his spirit had departed from him. Now the Holy Spirit don't work like that in these days. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God re- resides inside of you. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God, by the way, You're not your own property, you're God's property. In this day, the Holy Spirit of God was departed from Saul, and an evil spirit came upon him. And guess what? It made him very angry because David had the favor of God on his life, and it made him very, very envious of David, to the point that he even wanted to cast him through with a javelin. It said he literally wanted to spear him through because he could not stand when the people sang as he came into the city. He said, they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And it made him jealous. Well, long and short of it, 
you see David's life, a one that he was trying to follow God, but then Saul wanted to kill him and, cha- and, and cast him through with a javelin. And David ultimately got to the point, brother, that, uh, brother Matt, where he could not, there's no way that he could go and sit before Saul anymore because he knew he wanted to kill him. But he wanted to find out if there was any way that there could be future restoration in their relationship. He wanted to know, is it all, listen, is it possible for me to go back and sit and slide my feet under the table of Saul? And now he had a friend named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. And he said, Jonathan, what I want you to do is I want you to go to your daddy's table, ask him, and you find out if it's safe for me to come back. Now we'll pick up a reading in chapter number 20 and verse number 18. Everybody found their place in 1 Samuel? Chapter number 20, verse number 18. Very good. It says, to Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. Now he's speaking to David about, you won't be at my daddy's table. And so David says, okay, I want you to do this, and this is what we're going to do. If it's safe, this is what's going to happen. When thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was at hand, and shall remain by the stone Ezeel. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof as though I shot at a mark. Now this is Jonathan talking to David, what he's going to do. And I, behold, I will send a lad or a runner saying, go find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then come thou, for there is peace to thee and no hurt as the Lord liveth. But if I say unto the lad, be, uh, the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond thee. Go thy way, for the Lord has sent thee away. Now, I'll let your eyes fall over to verse number 29. And he said... Let me go, I pray thee, for our family has sac- have the sacrifice in the city. Or excuse me, go up to verse 27. Let's start there. It'll make a little bit more sense. Came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty at Saul's table. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore comest not the son of Jesse to meet or to eat, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan said, Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family had a sacrifice in the city. My brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, Dad, let me go away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against who? Jonathan. Now, here Saul's already got mad enough to kill his one of his confidants, his, his acquaintance, his you know, one of his guides that he went into the, the, ta- the, the tabernacle and took sweet fellowship together in the temple. Not only now is he angry at David, now he's angry at his own son Jonathan and want to cast him through with a javelin. You say, preacher, really? Well, let's read on. It says that Saul's anger would kin- was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto thee, Thou son of the perverse, rebel- rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion, and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. He said, As long as you're friends with Jesse, you ain't got no part of me. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Talking about David. Look at verse 32. And Jonathan said to Saul his father, and look, answered his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What have he done? What's he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him or to kill him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Now here's what happened. David's, you know what, Jonathan went before his daddy and said, You know what, is it okay? And his daddy said no by his actions. And he said, you know what? It's not safe for David to come back here. 
So what he did was he went down and he went to the appointed place. And in verse number 35, look at it. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto the lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Now remember what we had in the story? He said, If the arrows are beyond thee, you'll know that it's not safe to come back. And look at this, verse 37. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? Now, young people, I want you to listen to me. I love stories of restoration in the Bible. I think about Jacob and and Esau, when Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright, and Esau was really wanting to kill him. I mean, he brought an entourage of men when they said, we want to meet, and Jacob called this meeting. He had brought an entourage of 400 soldiers with him, Dino, to this meeting. I bet Jacob was scared. But you know what? I love the story because Jacob and Esau got things right, and he fell on his brother's neck and said, I'm sorry. They forgave one another. It was sweet rest- restoration. We read the story about the prodigal son. We talked about it this week. The prodigal son went into a far country, wasted his father's substance on riotous living and living it up and, and, and drinking and carousing about and carousing all over the place and he spent all that he had and he began to be in want. He went back toward the house and when it says he was a great way off, his father saw him and ran to him and hugged his neck and kissed him and said, welcome home. I love stories of restoration. But can I ask you a question this morning? Is there a relationship in your life? Because guess what? The storms of your life are basically going to come from one of two places. There's going to be storms of correction and storms of perfection. God may send a storm in your life to try to correct you. By the way, God is not mad at you. God, when He does something in your life for correction, is not doing it for punitive reasons. He's doing it to try to mold you and make you and turn you to where you can follow Him more closely. He does, he, listen, He's not angry with you. God's not an ogre in heaven with a ball bat. Every time you get out of the way and get turned around and get out of His will, He goes and hits you on top of the head and says, I don't like what you're doing. No, that's not God. God loves you. And God's not mad at you. He does it for correction, but He does it for perfection. What did we talk about the word perfection means in the Bible most of the time? It doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means mature. God is putting a storm in your life to make you, to correct you sometimes, but to perfect you, to make you mature. So get the thumb out of your mouth, stand up, and walk with God. Amen? But I want to ask you something, and I'm just going to kind of just prayer my heart this morning. I know all of you are tired. It's been a long weekend. Man, it's intense ministry. Saturday was rough, wasn't it? Had to, hit, had to put up with me four times yesterday. Y'all had to listen to me pray. Four times. That's like the tribulation period, ain't it? It's like seven years, you know? But do you know what? Every single one of you in here, your life is made up of relationships. It might be a boyfriend. It might be a girlfriend. It might be your wife, your children, people at work, friends that you love in the Lord. But your, your life is made up of relationships. But can I ask you something? Do you know what? Not every relationship is going to be hunky-dory. There may be times in your life where a relationship that you have gets to the point to where it's, what they say, uh, irreconcilable. Have you ever gotten to the point to where there might be a relationship that you're, ta- you're thinking about right now that you wish could have been repaired, but it has not yet? This is what happened in the life, Brother Dino, of David and Saul. David said, I want to know if I can have future fellowship with Saul. By the way, that'd be a good attitude to have. 
If somebody's hurt you or wronged you, it is not your job to get them back. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says it. Look it up. Write it down. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It is not my job to do retribution to anybody that's done me wrong. Amen? Brother Peter, I'm here to tell you there's people that's hurt me, said things about me. But you know what? My job is that they, me and their, their relationship would be restored. Not push them farther away, but draw them closer to me. And do you know what? You need to be like that, young people. Be a magnet. Compel people to come towards you. Man, I don't care if nobody ever knows my name and it's up in lights and on billboards. I just want to leave a legacy. And if I can be your friend and do something and put something in your heart that God's given me through His Word, that's all I care about. You go on and run the race after I'm long gone. Amen? That's all I care about. David was saying, I want to know if it's okay for me to go and have fellowship with Saul. But you know what? It wasn't. Now don't raise your hands, but I wonder if there's somebody in here this morning. You've got a relationship that for all intent and purposes is unrepairable on this side of heaven. Can I give you some encouragement this morning? Number one, you ought to do what David did. David was an intriguing character. I hope I can get through this. Because I can remember when me and my mom's relationship was irreparable. Young people, I don't know where you're at today. But I know where I was at. When me and my mom wouldn't even talk, five years we went without talking. Five. And it broke my heart, George. That's the woman that bore me. She brought me into this world. And she could not stand it. I remember my mom sitting and looking at me and saying, Brian, you know what this preaching thing you're doing? This was back in 1991, by the way. She said, this preaching thing you're doing, it's all right, but it'll wear off. You're just, you're just excited right now. You know what I'm thankful, Dino? It ain't wore off. <laughs> I'm as excited today as I've ever been about the ministry. Is it tough? Yeah. Do you get bruised and bumped up? Yeah. But I'm here to tell you, my eternal reward is in heaven, not here on earth. One of these days, you know what, I get people all across, when I go and preach to teenagers in Christian schools, I get this all the time. They look at me and they go, this man's nuts. He's got rental property upstairs unfurnished. I mean, the lights are not on, okay? Something's wrong with that guy. He jumps around, does cartwheels, hits hoops and hollers, spits all over the place, you know? Most of the people on the front row have to have windshield wipers on their sunglasses because I'm up here spitting, spittling all over them. Why is he getting so excited? Man, just calm down a little bit mellow out you know what guys people can laugh I've had kids laugh at me and look at me and say you nuts but you know what they can laugh they want to I'm going to shout glory all the way to heaven it don't bother me anymore I'm 42 I'm bald it don't matter you can look at me I know I'm ugly it's alright God made a few perfect heads he put hair on the rest and he's made a perfectly good place up here for another face so he, I guess he's going to use that to make another face for me I guess but you know what? I'm here to tell you that whatever happens in your life, if there's a relationship, whatever happens in a relationship, I promise you, you have the same attitude as David and there is potential for it being restored. David did this. Write these down very quickly. Just some practical thoughts about this. What do you do when the arrow is beyond you? What do you do when, if I can say it like this, when there is a relationship for all intent and purposes in your eyes can never be repaired on this side of heaven. What do you do? Well, number one, you do what David did. There has to come a point, young people, where you accept it. Write it down. There has to come a point in your life where you accept it. 
You say, preacher, what do you mean? Do y'all remember the story when David committed adultery with Bathsheba? He looked down. When he should have been in the fight, he stayed home in the bed. When he should have been in the battle, he was stayed home and fooled around. And he looked down on a woman that was bathing on top of a roof. And he, he fell in lust with her, not love. And he committed adultery with her, long and short of it. The child was born out of that relationship. That little baby got sick and God was saying to David, you know what, you're not your own property, you're my property. And that baby died, but the whole time while the baby was sick, David got in his prayer closet and he begged God to do something in his heart and he wept over the baby and he wanted to get, get better, but it, it, it died. And guess what? The servants came to David to tell him and they were trying to figure out how to tell him the baby had perished and he... And when they came in the room, Dino, he had already gotten up, shaved himself, and was sitting at the table prepared to eat. And they went, what's wrong with this guy? And you know what? He looked at him and he said, you know what? There's nothing I can do. I've got to accept the fact that the baby's gone. And you get that famous statement where he says, I, I, the baby can't come to me, but I can go to the baby. You know what? People that's already gone can't come to us, but thank God we can go to them. See, you know what? David had to accept the fact that the relationship, and you know what? There's something that's, there's something that's very dangerous about unfounded hope. When there is a relationship in a, that you've got and you've done everything that you can to try to restore that relationship, sometimes the best thing to do is just accept it. That's what David had to do. Second thing he did. What? Write this down. Second thing he did. David, sometimes you've got to accept it, young people. But the second thing, listen to me, mom and dad. The second thing you've got to do if there's a relationship that's, that's been severed and you want to restore it, make sure that it's not your choice, that it stays irreconcilable. If you want a relationship to be restored, number one, maybe sometimes you ought to accept it. And number two, the second thing you ought to do is make sure it's not your choice that it stays severed. Make sure it's not your choice. Do you know what I find out as I read the Scripture? David not one time said, there's no way that me and Saul's relationship can't be restored. He was always open to future fellowship and future restoration. Young people, you do well to take the, take the counsel of David. And you know what? Make sure it's not your choice. Number three, write these down. I got about eight of them, all right? No, I'm just playing. Uh, just seven. Uh, God, you need to accept it. You need to make sure it's not your choice. These are just practical meat and potatoes thoughts. I'm not some deep preacher. I just want to give you somewhere where you, I'm going to give you stuff where you live. And if you've got a relationship, there may be a mom that I'm talking to somebody in here and you, you're at odds with her. Some of you in here have had a, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend and you're bitter. And don't you ever expect for God to work in your heart as a Christian if you're bitter because I'm telling you here that bitterness will consume you like acid consumes the very container that holds it. You say, preacher, I'm not bitter. How do I know I'm bitter? If you ever get mad at somebody to the point that you become bitter, here's what will happen. When you come into their presence or they come into yours, the first thing you'll do is when you see them, the hair begins to roll up on the back of your neck. If you got any, I don't. And the blood begins to boil in your veins. And the first thing you do is try to avoid them. And you run the other way when you see them. Probably more than likely you bitter. You know the Bible says, Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Do you know what, young person? In your youth group, if you get bitter at somebody else, you think, well, that don't affect nobody else. No, no you're wrong. It affects the whole youth group. The whole youth group. If, ma'am, if you're in this church, dad, if you're in this church, I don't know who you are, but if you stay bitter at somebody, it says many will be defiled. It will affect and it'll spread like wildfire. 
You know what David didn't do? David didn't get bitter because a guy wanted to kill him. When's the last time somebody had a death threat out on you? I don't think I've ever had one. Hope I never have one. I like to live. <laughs> but you know what? David had a death threat out on him. His best friend wanted to kill him. But David never said, I will not try to restore the relationship. He said, I'm always open to future restoration. You ought to do that. Number one, accept it. Number two, make sure it's not your choice. Number three, write this one down. If you're going to get through this thing and have a good attitude and a good spirit when there's a relationship you're trying to restore, number three, you ought to do this. Number three, write it down now. Always review the good in every relationship. Always review the good in every relationship. Let me give you an example. I pastored a church in 1997 and 1999, almost year 2000. While I was there, there was a, there was a, a lady and a man, both doctors. One was a med medical doctor. The other one was a, 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 a chemist or something that worked in a pharmacy and made medicine. And both of them were very, very prominent. They made a lot of money. Well... They got angry because at that time I was only 29 years old and they didn't like the fact that they had a 29-year-old pastor and they're 42. You know, that, I mean, age has nothing to do with authority, young people. I know what I'm talking about. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was a sergeant when I was 23 years of age. I had people underneath me that were underneath my care that were 20, uh, 42, 43, 44 years of age. Listen, David was a young man. Saul was his older. He was his elder. But yet, you know what? David didn't get puffed up and braggadocious. He humbled himself and was an obedient servant even while he was anointed king of Israel. Guess where they found him? After he was anointed, he was still out tending to his daddy's sheep. Some of you in here, you want to, you want to be the CEO? You want to have the big shot? You know, the, have the big name tag and say, I'm all that and, uh, you know, a cup of tea? When are you going to get to the point to where you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time? Because, listen to me, promotion comes from above, not from man. The only way God, listen, the only way you're ever going to be promoted in the kingdom of God is through His grace and through His stamp of approval, not man's. David said, you know what? I'm going to choose to review the good. This couple in the church, Carl, did everything they could to degrade my name to spread rumor after rumor after rumor about me to the point that they said I stole money from the church, that I had an affair. All of that couldn't have been no farther from the truth. But I'm here to tell you, I let God fight my battles just like David did. When he went in that valley with Goliath, he said, listen, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. He said, but Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He said, I'm going to let God fight my battle. And you know what, Matt? Even though those people hurt me de deeply, you know what? That guy taught my kids in Sunday school, Pastor Larry, and they grew. And you know what? I could just dismiss that and say, you know what? I can't stand that guy. If I see him right now, I'm going to punch him in the nose in the name of Jesus. No, I wouldn't do it. You know what? You can't have that attitude. You've got to be, have the, the love of Christ constraining you, literally pushing you along. And, and you won't sleep until you call that person and try to make it right. I went over to his house and tried to make it right. He wouldn't want to. He wouldn't want any future restoration. But you know what? I had to review the good in that relationship. Hey, that guy taught my kids Sunday school. He helped our youth group. He helped our Awana program. And it grew. And I praise God for it. 
You've got to review the good. If you don't, you're going to get bitter. Listen to me. Look me right in the whites of my eyes like when I look back at you with my reds. All right? I'm about wore out. Every single one of you in here have a choice, and we've talked about that all weekend. You've got a choice to make whether or not you're going to review good or whether you're going to review negative. You've got to look at the rose in the vase instead of the dust on the table. Look at the thing positively and say, you know what, though they hurt me, I'm going to review the good. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was good that God brought that person into my life. I'll tell you what, you'll keep a sweet spirit and you'll keep a smile on your face if you'll do it. If you want to get through it when a relationship's unrepairable on this side, the way you look at it, number one, sometimes it's good just to accept it. Number two, make sure it's not your choice. Number three, why don't you review the good in the situation? And number four, write this one down now. Number four. It would do you good to do this. Keep the innocent parties out of it. You say, what do you mean? You know what I read in my Bible? David never asked Jonathan to take sides. You ever notice that in this story? If you ever read it, go back and read the whole thing. Read chapters 19 through 26. David never said, Jonathan, you're my friend, and if... You won't, listen, if you won't be on my side, I'm not going to be your friend. You ever had somebody like that? Y'all ever went down to the pitch and you guys that play football and somebody, if they don't get their way, they get mad and say, well, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Bunch of babies. If they don't get their way, they're just going to leave. David never acted that way. Young people, you know what? It's good if you'll just keep the innocent parties out of it. Don't get somebody involved that don't need to get involved. David never asked Jonathan to take sides because he knew he was his best friend, but he, that was his daddy. Young people, don't, don't pit people against one another because you want to, somebody to endorse your bitterness. Hello? You know what? That's what I find out, Pastor Larry, and I'm sure you've had it before. People come into the office and they, they want some counsel and you tell them what the Word of God says and they say, you know what? I know that's what God's Word says, but... But... I know that's what God's Word says. However, you're going to counsel God? You're going to tell God what He needs to know? Isn't it amazing that people know more than God does? God don't need your counsel. He created everything out of nothing. He breathed everything into existence. I don't think God much needs our help, but thank God He included us. Amen? He don't need us. In a million years, He won't need me, but thank God He included me. Keep the innocent parties out of it. Don't get somebody to come into the middle of it to endorse your bitterness toward another person. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, David said, you know what? I'm not going to get Jonathan to side between me or his daddy. And that's good counsel. So let's review. You accept it. You make sure it's not your choice. You review the good in the relationship that came out of it. And number four, you make sure, young people, you make sure you keep the innocent parties out of it. But number five, write this down. I only got one more after this one. Always remember to respect the, pers the position when you can no longer respect the person. You say, what do you mean? I want you to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter number 24 very quickly and look at something. Always respect the position when you can no longer respect the person. David still respected Saul's position when he could no longer respect him as a person. You say, preacher, can you prove that? I can. Look at chapter number 24. Verse number 4 says, The men of David said unto him, Be 
Behold the day of which the Lord said, uh, said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as uh, shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Now look up at me. David said, his men came to him and said, You know what? You remember the promise God gave you. God will deliver your enemy into your hand. Now was, let me ask you something. Was Saul really David's enemy in David's eyes? No. David was trying to restore a relationship, but yet he took the counsel, by the way. Be careful what counsel you get from people. When you get somebody that says, well, you know what, brother? I think you need to just go ahead and take matters into your own hands. You say, uh, I'll see you later. We're done talking because that ain't good counsel. Now, I know ain't's a bad word, but it, it, it's not good counsel. I cannot even fake an English accent, so don't even try. I'm not even going to try, okay? It ain't good counsel when somebody says, why don't you just take matter into your own hands? Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Number, number, uh, Psalms chapter 37 verse 1 says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall, sh shall soon be cut down as the grass and wither as a green herb. You know what I found out? God can take care of more in five seconds than I can take care of in 20 lifetimes. You respect the position when you can no longer respect the person. You say, what do you mean? I had a brother-in-law that was very, very, very ugly to my nephews. He was an abusive husband. Long and short of it, him and my sister-in-law got a separation ultimately to get divorced. But you know what? I still respected that guy as the father of my nephews even when I could not respect him as a person because I'd known what he'd done. You know what? I've seen people get... I've seen grandparents. I've seen parents who get divorced and have children involved will not even let the grandparents see the children because they're so mad and angry at the wife or the husband. Now, I don't know if that applies to anybody in here, but I've seen it happen. You know what? That's immature. Always try to respect the position when you no longer can respect... That respect the person. Turn over two more chapters and look at 26 very quickly. Chapter number 26, look at verse number 8. David learned from his mistake because it said when he tried to cut off a portion of Saul's skirt, it smote his heart. But I want you to look at this. In verse number 8 of chapter number 26, 1 Samuel 26, verse number 8, it says, Then Abishai said to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. Where did we hear that before? We heard that back in chapter number 24. And guess what he did? He took that counsel and it was bad counsel. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. Because he said, I'll do it so good, it'll be good, good enough in the first time. First try, I'll get it done. And David said to Abshai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointing and be guiltless? Look at verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die or he shall descend into battle and perish. Now look at me, that happened. You know what he was saying? I'm not going to try to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to let God do my work. And you know what? If you're in a relationship right now, young people, where it does not look like for any intent and purposes it's going to be repairable, you need to do this. You need to turn it over to God. You know what David's prayer was? David's prayer was this, Dino. Lord, I want you to keep my heart pure while you deal with Saul. Do you see the difference? 
When you try to take matters into your own hands, your heart's going to be get, you begin to become corrupt. What you've got to do is you've got to say, Lord, I want you to keep my heart right while you deal with Saul. And that's what God did. You want to know why I know that? Because he said, I will not, Brother Peter, stretch forth my hand against God's anointed and be guiltless. He said, I'm going to let God take care of business. And guess what? It did happen. I've got one more point and we're done. It's 12 o'clock. I've got about four more minutes, all right? You know the last thing you've got to do when there's a relationship that looks like it's unrepairable? The last thing you need to do is what David did. You need to always show grace. Write it down. Always show grace. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 9. I want to show you a couple verses and we're done. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Second Samuel chapter number 9 and look at verse number 1. It says, and David said, now this is after Saul and Jonathan had died in battle. And David said, is there, now listen to this. Here's a man who his leader tried to kill him. And I want you to look at what David says. Is there yet any that is left of the house of who? Saul. That I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Young people, I want to ask you something. When's the last time you tried to go to somebody that's wronged you or you know that there's a division between you and said, you know what, it don't matter what the problem was. The issue is we need to get right with one another because I want my heart to be pure before God. When's the last time you went to your mom and apologized for treating her like a junkyard dog, young person? When's the last time you went to your dad and said, Dad, you know, there's been times in the last few years that I have might have been sitting down on the inside, but I stand, I, sitting down on the outside, but I was standing up on the inside. And I was rebellious, and I want you to forgive me. When's the last time you went to your parents and just said, You know what, I love you, and I'm sorry. I really am. When's the last time you went to somebody you knew that had a disagreement with you and though you were not the party that was guilty, you did not bring that alt upon this relationship. You were willing to swallow your pride and go to that person and say, you know what, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. I didn't mean for this to happen. Can we, can we hug and just be friends again and just put the past in the past where Jesus puts it? Or are you going to hold on to it? See, there's many people in the Christian life that are living life like this. They're holding on to everything. And God said, just let it go. Just give it. We've got to stop living life like this, young people, and live it like this. And give it to Him. After everything that had happened, George, he said, is there somebody that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake of the house of Saul? The man that wanted to try to kill me, I want to show mercy. I want to show grace. And I want you to notice something. There was a little boy, a little lad that was the grandson of Saul, one of the only ones left. His name was Mephibosheth. Aren't you glad you live in the 21st century where your name ain't Mephibosheth? I mean, can you imagine? Uh, who do we have in class? Show and tell. Stand up. What's your name, son? Mephibosheth. I mean, that's a crazy name. There's a lady in the, in the Bible named Gomer. Gomer, like, 
Now, I'm not talking about Gomer Pyle. Most of y'all probably don't even know who I'm talking about, but a lady's name's Gomer. You know, this is my wife, Gomer. I mean, that just don't fit. But Mephibosheth's his kid's name. And this kid comes up, and guess what? He's been lame from birth. He can't walk right. He's probably got a, his, his legs are disfigured, and he's kind of crippled. And he comes up, and Saul said, you go fetch Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth comes before the king's throne. And Mephibosheth gets down, young people. And he gets ready to bow down with his little crippled up legs. And, and David says, no, son, don't bow down. Stand up. And he says, why, old king? And David said, from here on out, you'll eat at my table. From here on out, Steve, he said, you'll eat at my table, son. No more. Will you be out there on the streets? He said, you're going to eat at the king's table forever. Son, if that don't put... Listen, if that don't put fuel in your tank to get you through, to know that God gives enough grace, when you do wrong and you feel like you're a million ways from God, a million miles away from God, God says, no, 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 no. Stand up. Come here. You're going to eat at my table forever. You're a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus, your Savior, you're a child of the king. Young people, there's a lot of games that you can play. Any of y'all like chess? You know there's a point in the game of chess where you don't have any more moves left, isn't it? When that guy has you to the point to where he's getting ready to say, checkmate, you have no more moves left. You're done. But do you know what? I thank God for this. With God, there's always one more move left. Some of you in this room, you feel like you are done. You feel like God's done with you. But guess what? God says there's always one more move left, and that's to me. He's, listen, that move's always available. He said one move's left, you come back to me. Always show grace, young people. Always show grace. I met a lady, Pastor in the streets of Wilmington, North Carolina, about four years ago. I was driving through Wilmington. She looked like she was a homeless lady. She was pushing a buggy like a Tesco buggy. And she was collecting stuff from all over the city. Evie, I asked her. I drove up to her and I said, can I help you? Can I give you a ride? I said, I'll put your buggy in my truck. I'll take you wherever you want to go. She said, well, I don't need a ride. I just live down a couple blocks from I said, you live, in a, you live a couple blocks from here. What are you doing downtown? She said, well, I live over, I live over on Achaia Street. I said, a Achaia, y'all have to realize, that's where the country club is. This lady lived in a 3,800 square foot home. It was worth millions of dollars. She's pushing a buggy down through the streets of Wilmington collecting stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? She says, well, she said, I'm a Christian. I said, man, I got to hear this story. She said, I'm a Christian. And I said, well, what are you doing down here with a buggy? She said, well, you know... Y'all have to understand something. Wilmington used to be known as the Cotton Exchange. That's where they made textiles. They made clothing. They would come and they would trade the cotton in and it would go all over the world from that port. They, they have clothing stores down there now that they sew, seamstress sew clothing, and what they cut off, they just maybe just kind of discard it and throw it in the trash. And she said, what I do, Carl, is I go down and I collect these rags, these things that they throw away, and what I do is I take them home, and my ministry is to sew those pieces of clothing together, and it might look like Jacob's coat of many colors, but she said, I sew these nice little dresses, and I take them to the mission downtown. So somebody will have something to wear. 
and he hit me. What? Excuse me. The table hit me. It hit me. What most people throw away, we throw away because it's what? It's useless. But what God sees is thrown away, He says is useful. She'd take all of those pieces of rags that everybody thrown away and it was utterly useless to everybody else. She'd sew it together and she'd give it to a little girl and she could wear it to church. Wear it to school. And you know what? Some of you in here think that God's done with you and you feel like one of them rags and He's not. He wants to do a great work in your life and use you for the glory of His name. Or are you going to let Him use you? You might feel like Mephibosheth and feel like that you just got to bow down and, and you're in your crippled state, but he said, stand up. You'll eat at my table forever. Always show grace. Who are you going to show kindness to today for his sake? The song says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Young people, you know who wrote that song? John Newton wrote it. Used to be a slave trader from Africa. On the epitaph on his tombstone says this, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I ought to be. But thank God, I'm not what I was. You may be in this room today and you feel like one of those little rags that's been thrown into trash. I'm here to tell you, you're special in God's sight. And if you're going to get through this thing and have a sweet spirit, always show grace to those that look like they don't want to have nothing to do with you again. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. My sins. Do you know His grace is greater than anything you've done? And what you cover up, young people, He's going to uncover. But what you uncover, He'll cover with His grace and His blood. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you a question this morning. Nobody looking around. Maybe you're in a storm right now of a relationship where you feel like it's irreparable. Maybe you feel like that there's somebody that right now, if you even called, they'd probably hang up on you. But you know in your heart that you're willing to restore that relationship. Listen, young people. If you're in a relationship like that, the, the issue is not whether or not you were right or wrong. The issue is, are you willing to go to that person and try to make it right? They may not forgive you. They may not try to restore it. But listen, don't make it your choice that it's irreparable. Always show grace. The Lord stands right now with extended hands. And you know what He says? I love you. I'm the great potter. You're the clay. Thank God He don't throw the clay away. He takes the clay and He makes it again another vessel that pleases Him. And I'm here to ask you something this morning, young people. Mom, dad, teenager, uh, wherever you're at sitting in that pew. Your mind right now is wondering to something that God's placed on your heart and He's pinpointed an area. If you're in this room, I want to ask you a question, Judgment Day Honest. Do you know right now that you're born again? Do you know that you have a home in heaven? I want to ask you a question right now. You'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I can raise my hand right now that I'm born again on my way to heaven. 
And I can raise my hand. Once you put it up, you can put it down. To God be the glory. Can I ask one more question? You feel like one of them little rags. God's not done with you. He wants to include you in that wonderful coat of many colors called eternal life. Let me ask you a question. If you're not sure that you're saved, but you want to be, and you say, Preacher, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I would, and I want you to pray for me, would you just say, Preacher, pray for me? Just raise your hand, I'll pray for you. Anybody like that? God bless you, friend. Anybody else? Anybody else say, Preacher, pray for me? I'm not sure, but I want to be, and I want you to pray for me. Anybody else? Anybody? Got a few in here that raised their hand, but I want you to understand something. You don't have to leave this conference. You don't have to leave this Sunday morning service under knowing whether or not, not knowing whether or not you'd go to heaven. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you're in this room and you know what, there's an irreconcilable difference between you and another person, maybe even in this room. Don't, listen, don't you quench the grace of God. You go to that person and make it right. You at least try. What kind of storm's going on in your life? I wonder if you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. I believe God spoke specifically to me this morning. I want you to pray. God, give me grace to sustain myself through this storm that I'm going through. You just raise your hand. Hands all over. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Thank you, young people. God bless you. Father, into your hands I commend these ones that have raised their hand for prayer. And God, I ask you that the sweet Holy Spirit of God would comfort and caress their heart. Help them to realize, Lord, that they're never alone. Just like that rag lady collected what had been thrown away. There was a day when you went down into that miry clay in a horrible pit and reached down and you got me out. And I'm thankful for that. God, speak to hearts this morning and I pray that you'd bless the rest of our remainder of the day here. And we'll love you and praise you for we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,